Do you know how sometimes when you go on vacation, you have this long list of things that you're supposed to do before you leave, and sometimes you invariably forget something? Well, that's what I did this week. I was supposed to record an intro that was going to be neatly tucked into uh, this episode, uh, and I forgot to do that. So here I am in North Carolina, uh, sitting, sipping coffee, uh, looking out at the ocean. Uh, I hope you can hear the surf in the background. But uh, here's the intro. Uh, this is a conversation I had with Andrew Bujon, a senior editor at Washingtonian Magazine. He'd just given a panel at the Association of Alternative News Media's conference uh, back in July. And uh, we talk about the alternative press. Enjoy. Do you like the work we're doing here at It's All Journalism? For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us continue the conversation about good journalism. Show your support by donating to our Patreon campaign. Go to itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page to donate. I think that it, that it would be crazy to expect people to remember whether they're reading Washingtonian or something else, but I want us to show how Washington works and show people how to have their best life in Washington now, and I want them to remember where the stories they read came from. But more than that, I just want them to remember the stories. Alternative newspapers are perfectly positioned to tell important stories that the big newspapers often miss. I'm Michael O'Connell, and you're listening to It's All Journalism. So tell me about uh, the, the talk you just were a part of, the panel you're just part of. What, what do you think were, were some of the highlights? I think, for me, the really interesting question is what is the role of media criticism at alt-weeklies? And, um, and that's something that, that we addressed in a bunch of different ways. Um, at Baltimore City Paper, you could see the difference, right, when they were reporting on the Baltimore uprising. Their story, in fact, starts with a City Paper reporter and a Sun reporter covering the same event, and then makes a Y in the middle when the Sun reporter goes behind police lines and the city paper reporter doesn't. So, you know, we, we talked about that. We talked about why so many media critics came out of Washington City Paper, which is a, a really fun question that I have no idea how to answer. Just one of those things. So one of the things I was thinking about uh, when you were speaking and also when the editor of the current editor of the uh, Baltimore City Paper was talking a lot about the awareness of the big, you know, the big paper in town and sort of what the alternatives relationship to that. Now, you were at the Washington City Paper. You sort of talk about, you know, what maybe your perception was as as an editor, but maybe even just the, the newsroom's perception of the Washington Post and, and how you differentiated yourself. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think one of the really interesting things about that time period was that the really big paper in town in most cities was getting really smaller, and that's still the case. I was at City Paper between 2006 and 2010, which was really the point at which print advertising fell off of a cliff with the recession and you know so the criticism that we'd always done took on a new edge and really the question was how are they going to keep doing the work that they need to do 
under the current structure. And a lot of those papers just didn't want to change anything. And so that's where I think the alts were really helpful in that you could, they could take a top-to-bottom look at a paper that they knew really well because alts are written by people who read the paper every day and really obsess over it and talk to people there and try to figure out what the problems are. So, you know, I, th- I think that it's, it's almost like any other institution in a city that you care a lot about. The paper can be, I said on the panel, it's almost like a really frustrating sports team, something that you really want to do well, something that you love in a weird way, but something that also drives you crazy. Yeah, it's really interesting. Just just so you so you know, um, and people who've been listening to the podcast a long time will, will will know about this. Is I used to work for the Connection newspapers in Northern Virginia, and you know we're, we're not the Washingtonian, we're not the the Washington City paper, but we had sort of a, our own sort of relationship with the the Washington Post, where we would cover you know the city council, the county council stories. We would do all these sort of big school stories, and the post reporters would helicopter in and do a story and then suddenly you know our sources who we're, we talk to every week and you know are helpful and everything suddenly they're, they're stars in their eyes and they're oh the Washington Post and, and so they get these different types of stories and sometimes the stories are less than what we do that we would do and, and other times they would take it sort of in a different direction but the fact was we were down in the trenches every day and every week so for us you know that was kind of our, our, our relationship now, for an alternative paper, I mean, the philosophy about being, you know, an alt in your name is that you're going to take sort of a, a different position than, than that paper. Do you think that that helps you, you know, in, in sort of the scenario you were describing where it's an opportunity for you to look at yourself and seeing what the big paper is doing, but how we can differentiate ourselves? Yeah, I think it can. I think the danger in that is that you define yourself oppositionally rather than um, in terms of what you can do better than anybody else. And I think that a stance of opposition can eventually just become really boring because, frankly, readers don't care. This is the kind of thing that informs what you do, but if you sort of take it public, there's a term that people always talk about when you talk about media, which is inside baseball. It's not a problem if you play baseball to be inside baseball. But, you know, there there are some, some points at which even sports fans tune out. And um, I think that when you're making your editorial choices, it shouldn't be because, simply because the, the big paper would do, do things differently. It should be because you can do it better. And, you know, look at some of your formal advantages it, if you're an all you don't have to pull it, um, breaking news stories you don't have to do stuff every day you can do those mop-up stories where you go back and get the documents meet the people tell their stories tell tell a big story through a smaller story those are the kinds of things that newspapers just aren't really set up to do that alts can do really well. And that, that doesn't matter if they're being printed on paper or not. So, well, since you say they don't need to, to be printed on paper, let's let's talk about sort of the digital aspect of it. And, you know, it certainly has changed the way, you know, all newsrooms are covering the news, you know, breaking news stories, posting content online before it goes into print. 
Do you think that that's something that a lot of alternatives are taking advantage of, or do you think that they're still sort of stuck in the maybe in between the the print and the uh, the digital end? I think it's very much in between for most of them because they have the same problem that big papers do, but on a much smaller scale, which is that all the money is being made through the through the print paper and digital revenue is really hard to come by if you're covering a small area and you can't give advertisers the numbers that they need you really need like one to two million uniques before they're even going to really start looking at you that's hard to do in a lot of places and this is where I think it becomes vital for alts to try to figure out how else to pay for what they they're doing is that are those foundations are those um you know crazy rich people in their neighbor in their neighborhoods who um love sticking it to institutions as much as they do it's vital that alt weeklies find new ways to pay for their journalism one of the things that you were talking about was this idea that you know, being being different and identifying the things that your your readers are really kind of interested in. Sometimes, I'm not necessarily talking about alts, but I know in my own experience, sometimes like a, a news outlet will be doing a feature that it's done year in and year out for no other reason because that's what they've always done. And, you know, now we, where we have, you know, digital platforms that allow us to see what actually people are interested in and making it easier for people to feedback through social media, through email, etc., we actually, you know, sort of goes into, opens up the opportunity of us to be able to sort of audit actually what our content and sort of weigh it against what our mission is. If we're really kind of, um, you know, is it important for us to do that? Now, you talked about a story in the uh, in the presentation about where there was a moment like that at the city paper. Can you sort of talk about that? Sure. That moment was that we had a nightlife column, which we thought was mission critical. Among the other things that we did, which were long literary investigative reporting, arts coverage was really, really important, and nightlife coverage in particular was really important because that was important to our audience. We had a nightlife column. We had a guy who was just killing it on that beat, and we had three people come after him once he left, none of whom could make that beat work for them. And the last writer was really at her wit's end and wanted to quit. And it wasn't till our boss, Eric Wemple, said to her, why don't you write about sex and gender instead? I've seen you writing about that on City Paper's blog. And so that's what Amanda Hess did. And it turned into a feature that was far more popular in the nightlife column and gave us a real foothold online that we didn't have before so you know my point with that was just don't mistake the form of what you do for the alternative spirit now one of the things uh you mentioned before we started talking you know you're currently at the washingtonian but you made a stop at tbd which in the very early days of the podcast we talked a lot about because we we talked to steve buttery mandy jenkins um jim brady about what TBD was and what it was trying to do. Can you sort of talk about your experience there? Yeah. um, I came to TBD from City Paper 
I had known Jim Brady socially, and um, he he and I had talked a little bit before when TBD was really in its nascent stages. And my boss went over there, and I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. And then they made me a job offer, and I went over. The idea was that we were going to really bring Politico-style coverage to local news, that we were going to really focus in on a few areas rather than cover the whole metro area. We were just going to cover Montgomery County and Arlington to begin with. We were going to just get good at, at certain sort of coverages and maybe build out from there. But, you know, there were a couple of real structural problems with TBD to begin with. Um, the first one was that we, we were owned by the same company that owned Politico, but also the local ABC station. And the TV station there wasn't particularly enthusiastic about working with us, but the, but the bigger problem was revenue, which is always the bigger problem. There was a business manager when I started there who was only there to sell TBD. She was fired before we launched and from then on, it became we became a line item that was hard to justify because the TV people couldn't really understand why anybody would work on ad rates that are as low as they are for digital. And you know, you, you had these guys who were driving Jaguars with you know personalized plates and asking them to try to make you know a few bucks on it on a web ad. It didn't. It did not interest them. They were way more likely to throw that in. So our inventory, our admin inventory, went pretty quickly, but we weren't making any money. And we had a we launched with a pretty large newsroom for what we were doing. I think we were something like 30, 35 people. It's been a while, so I can't remember that precisely. And uh, when the Grim Reaper came in, in the, the form of the board demanding some cuts, we were pretty low-hanging fruit. So... It quickly got whittled down to just about nothing. At the very end, TBD was one person. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's one of my that, that's one of my favorite facts about that. That for a while it was just a one man website. Oh my god, it's pretty pretty interesting. And then it was a, it was a noble effort. They were trying to do something innovative and different, but it all in the end it all comes back to revenue stream. You know, if you if you don't have you know, somebody who's behind you willing to, you know, come up with a model that's going to work, especially in a hyper-local situation, you know, how are you going to get enough revenue to support such a staff? It's just not going to work. So it's, you know, I, I, I think about a lot of this in, you know, like digital startups trying to do news in, in lots of different ways. And it's like journalists are really good at coming up with sort of journalist ideas, but they're not always thinking of, from a business perspective of identifying something that's actually going to support what they do. And at the end, that's really kind of the thing that's going to make you, make you or break you. And so now we have, you know, a lot of alternatives. You know, you mentioned before. Uh, talking about how, um, like, the Post, when you were the city paper, was dealing with a lot of the, the things that a lot of newspapers were dealing with, the diminishing revenue, et cetera. And certainly that's something that's impacted alts as well. And they're, you know, trying to figure out how to stay afloat. So what, what do you see as the, you know, is the future of the next five, ten years for, for the alternative space? I think it's going to be brutal. I think that you're going to see a lot more alternative weeklies close. And it's not going to be any reflection on the quality of what they're doing. It's just going to be 
a reflection of the fact that they're not making any money. You can't just keep shrinking and offering people the same thing but less of it every year. That's, you know, in public transportation, they call that a death spiral. And that's the same thing that I think a lot of alts are looking at, um, where they lose a job every year. And the newsroom goes from 10 people to 9 people to, you know, and so so forth. Eventually you get down to an editor and an art director or production person, and then you're not offering enough of an editorial product for even the advertisers that you have. There was a really interesting situation in Knoxville, Tennessee, where some people from the Closed Alt Weekly there started their own, and what they found was that advertisers had been pretty much advertising out of, um, and this was the the words of the editor, out of inertia, that they just hadn't really noticed that they were still advertising in the alt-weekly. That's not a business model. And that they also found that, that the non-profit model was a lot harder than they thought, too. It is really hard. It's, it's tough. One of the things that I think alts should look at is the Washington Post under Jeff Bezos, and I'm not saying that the answer is to get bought by a rich person. Yeah, and get a, get a billionaire to, to buy yeah. you, that's right? It's like that old Steve Martin joke, like, first get a million dollars. But, you know, the Post started looking for ways to make money, and one of the first things that they started doing was selling their CMS. I would think that buried within alts, there are some things that are worth some money. And I think it's going to take really talented leadership at each one to look at it and try to figure out what they can do and what they can offer locally that can make money that's not selling futon ads. Did Post people come to your newsroom to try to sell you their CMS? At Washingtonian, no. They came to where I work because they were really interested in getting our content because we produced a lot of local content and they it was it was going to be sort of a partnership where they they saw you know here's here's a content stream we can work on this and, and sort of perfect our, our CMS but it's something that never kind of materialized because it, other chains picked it up and you know they're going to go with it but you're, you're absolutely right I mean they they identified things that were in their shop that they could make money at and help to sustain, sustain the journalism they do. They made, they've made a lot of smart decisions about a lot of things in the last few years, and we're seeing a lot of the benefit of it, I think. So let's talk a little bit, you know, about your, your current job at Washingtonian. What, what do you see as Washingtonian's role and um, how you guys are, are pursuing that? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of city paper DNA at Washingtonian. Now, my boss, Mike Schaefer, was editor of Washington City Paper. He... He also was there before me. He worked under David Carr when he was there. And um, then went on to the Philadelphia Inquirer. One of our food editors, Jessica Sidman, was Washington City Paper's food critic for a long time. You know, it's it's interesting. I can only speak from my experiences having worked for One Alt Weekly, but just how many people I see around the media sphere who came out of the same place. It's sort of it's sort of like you went to some weird alternative high school, you know. You know, what I see our role as doing is a lot of what I used to see the alts doing. And I'm not saying that they can't still do it or that we still couldn't get our lunch eaten. But doing the kind of long stories that 
that the Post is no good at doing, frankly. You know, when you look at a newspaper's Sunday magazine, usually their idea of what a magazine story is, it's just kind of a long newspaper story. What we can do is really do the mop-up story where we go back to all the breaking news and find the connective thread and find the stories behind it all that people don't have time to do it when it happens. We do really good service journalism, and that's something that I didn't really understand until I got there, and now I'm very proud of it because I've learned how hard it is to do that stuff well and with integrity. And uh, online, which is the part that I'm in charge of, Every day at noon, we get together and talk about the stories we're going to do the next day, and we say, what are people talking about? You know, when um, when David Carr was editor of Washington City Paper, he had a sign above his door that said, make a paper people talk about. And that's very much what we consider to be our role. I don't think... I think that it, that it would be crazy to expect people to remember whether they're reading Washingtonian or something else, but I want us to show how Washington works and show people how to have their best life in Washington now and I want them to remember that the story where, where the stories they read came from but more than that I just want them to remember the stories well, I think it's a good place to stop Andrew thank you for talking to me thanks so much for having me next time on It's All Journalism I think just seeing the prevalence of the things that are happening and just the incredible geographic distribution has been pretty depressing, <laughs> but certainly speaks to the fact that this is a national problem. This is something that's happening, you know, in places that also consider themselves like progressive cities or states. Join us next week when Miranda Glickhouse gives us the lowdown on ProPublica's Documenting Hate Project. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about digital media. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Podcast One. This week's episode was edited by Nicola Grisco. Amber Healy provided our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music, and I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Hey, I've written a book. You can order copies of Turn Up the Volume, a Down and Dirty Guide to Podcasting on our website. Visit itsalljournalism.com and follow the link at the top of the page. Isn't it time you started your podcast? Do you like the work that we're doing here at It's All Journalism? Now you can show your support on our Patreon page. Follow the link at the top of our website and donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you can access exclusive content and receive updates about upcoming episodes. Donate a little bit more and we'll send you cool swag like our It's All Journalism mug or a signed copy of my podcasting book. There are even opportunities for you to submit ideas for future shows or even appear on an episode. Go to itsalljournalism.com and click on the Patreon link to find out more. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. The Finish the Game Podcast with your host, Sean Alexander. Hey, this is Sean Alexander, NFL MVP. Check out my podcast, Finish the Game, where I discuss sports and life lessons helping you become an MVP. The Finish the Game podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.
The What's Working in Washington podcast with your host, Jonathan Aberman. We share this region's innovative, entrepreneurial, and creative spirit. This podcast tells impressive stories of passion and spunk taking place here in the D.C. region. It illustrates how the nation's capital is anything but the stuffy, bureaucratic, politics-only reputation it tries to shed. The What's Working in Washington podcast. Find it on iTunes, the Podcast One app, podcastone.com, or at WTOP.com. Search Podcast DC.